The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Feeling better? Looking better. Making life better. It's Life Tips. Life Tips. We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips. Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Life Tips Show, everyone. I'm here with Pam Allen. Pleasure to have you on the show, Pam. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Pam, you were the the author of a uh, book published in uh, 2009 by Penguin Press called What to Read When. Tell us a little bit yeah. about the book and uh, your illustrious background. You're also, by the way, the uh, executive director of the nationally renowned Lit Life, which uh, offers services to help schools transform uh, themselves. Uh, so tell us a little bit about both your book and your background. Well, I've been a literacy educator my whole, uh, for my entire adult life, and I started Lit Life in 2002 uh, to bring really best quality, um, effective training to teachers in the area of reading and writing instruction. And in the past decade, I've been talking to a lot of parents and grandparents and caregivers about their role in the home. Uh, in terms of raising their children to be lifelong readers and have been over the years very privileged to talk to families across this country and now across the world as well in terms of what their worries are and their hopes and dreams are for their children. So I, the book, What to Read When, was kind of simmering inside of me for a long time and, uh, and then a couple of years ago, um, people reached out and said, you know, you should really write this down. And so I put together the book as a way for to help people at home who are with their children to cultivate a love of reading first through the read-aloud. So the book is a compilation of my favorite books, but also a lot of my meditations on what I think the right environment is to create a lifelong reader. Pam, there's a lot going on with with uh, with with reading to to children. And before we talk about some of the uh, the you know the, the the benefits and and the power of that dynamic, maybe you can just explain the the psychology a little bit um, of of of, uh, of 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 that event happening. You know, why is it important? You know, what are uh, what are different? Uh, you know. Uh, sort of, uh, you know, how would I even describe the question? What are, you know, why is it important and, and, and why is it critical and instrumental for many, many things like relationship, trust, building? You know, I can only imagine that this event is, is, is a big deal. Maybe you can explain why. Yeah, I mean, it really, it really is. I, I, I believe that what's amazing about reading is that you have, it's almost like having a third party, you know, when you have a relationship with your child, it's, it's sort of based on uh, you, uh, you, absolutely your love for that child and their love for you, but life is a lot of complications and bumps in the road and things that happen, and it's a, sometimes a little bit hard to navigate, you know, we're not perfect, and we're also navigating our own bumps in the road, so 
it's, you know, it's a little bit like that, like you're kind of making your way, I guess, through the life journey. And one of the things that we're so lucky to have um, is a body of, of literature that's written expressly for children that are books written by people who have an incredibly exquisite insight into the lives of children in a way that I think we don't always have as adults. You know, we forget what it feels like to be a child. And a lot of really the best children's book authors have found a way to capture that essence. And then what it it does is not only teach our children, but one of the things I say to parents and grandparents is that actually children's literature can also teach us. It reminds us to slow down and to really um, be attentive and tuned into the life of the child. You know, they're they haven't been on the earth for that long. Their sense of time is really different from ours. Their sense of understanding about struggle and what it means to kind of live in the world is very different from ours. And children's literature kind of comes between us in a way it makes it safer to talk about things and to create an intimacy where, you know, it's one thing to say to your child, how are you feeling? But it's quite another to sit down and read a really fun book about a badger, you know, who doesn't really want to go to sleep or doesn't really like to eat everything everyone's eating at the cafeteria. And then you can turn and say, you know, what do you feel about that? Or how's that, you know, what, what, how are you responding to this book? Um, and then the book becomes a kind of a bridge between your world and the, and the world of the child. Interesting. How can reading communicate values to a child? Well, I think, you know, the thing is there are definitely even books that aren't, you know, it doesn't even have to be great literature for us to communicate values to our children. But, of course, there are books that I think are kind of, the heart, you know, beat their heart is the heart of that book is beating with really strong values of compassion or um, authors like Eve Bunting and Tommy DePaola and Patricia Polacco. They, they write about human relationships and loving your family and accepting people for their differences. But I think a lot of the, the time when we're looking for ways to teach our children values, we don't have to look for the book in the library or the bookstore that says, um, here's how you teach your child compassion, but actually a book like Frog and Toad, which is really just about you know two little animals making friends, can teach more to children about compassion than any book that's you know hitting us over the head with that because the, the you know Arnold Lobel you know has come up with a way to have those characters engage with each other throughout many linked stories that help us to see, well, that's what friendship is all about. You know, Frog and Toad, they're both kind of imperfect creatures, and they're kind of clumsy, and they don't always make the right decision, and they're not perfect, and they say hurtful things, or they, you know, they kind of make mistakes, but at the end of the day, they're really trying hard to be good friends to each other, and I think that's part of the whole idea of what literature can do to help our children to help us build values in our children is not always to be looking for the most obvious book, you know, here's how I'm going to teach my child not to hit his baby brother, but more, you know, find a book called, like there's a new one out called The Boss Baby, and it's just a really hilarious book um, about this, you know, the baby is like already dressed in a little business suit, and he's just like the terror of the household, and that's a book you can read with your older a child who's just there's a new baby in the family and that older child is feeling really complicated feelings and you can read that book. You don't have to hit the ba- you know, your older one over the head with 
the message, be nice to your baby brother, but you can both have a good laugh over, yeah, you know, I feel like our baby's a little bit of a boss baby, too. How about you? And so, really, you're building values, but it's not even just in your child. It's also in you that you have the empathy for your child not to just be reprimanding your older child, but to say, what is my empathy towards this child, which will help me to understand where he's coming from. And, of course, it's not okay to, you know, bop the baby brother over the head, but it's also there are some big feelings in the house right now, and a book like The Boss Baby is just a funny, easy, graceful way to say, ah, I know how you're feeling. Hmm. Can can you talk a little bit about the age groups, uh, the age group that you're that you're talking about here, and 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 when you might start reading and when you might stop reading with your children? Um, <laughs> well, I would maybe- say that um, I hope. I mean, I my daughters, we have a one in college and one still in high school and you know I still read aloud to them um, because it's you know as they get older and they get more independent you're tempted to kind of say oh, I don't need to read to them anymore because they know how to read themselves but actually they they really need the sound of our voice you know and sometimes just having a conversation isn't enough and there's so much there's a lot of really great literature that's written for older children that may be a little bit too hard let's say for your eight-year-old but you could read it aloud to them and then have an amazing conversation or even you know your 10 year old or your 12 year old there are some books where you can say you know I've been wanting to read this do you want to do this together you know every day when you come home from school let's just take 10 minutes and read it and I'm going to read it aloud you know we can even do it in different voices you know if we want to make it really exciting but my daughter is in high school you know we would read poetry at the table or a New Yorker article aloud or something really funny from the newspaper or something on the internet and just for them to hear you reading you know just to stop and say oh listen to this it's so beautiful um, or listen to this thing you know this great play-by-play that this writer gave about, you know, the Yankees in the paper today. That is just an amazing bit of writing. So that it's not doesn't have to be great literature, but you're still communicating the sort of the power and the beauty of language um, orally, and you're also using, again, using the read-aloud as a as a kind of a bridge. Now your children are in the teen years. They're not going to obviously cuddle in bed with you to read a book. And, you know, you have a little bit of a sense of loss over that, like, oh, those were the good old days. But actually you can get a lot of intimacy just sitting around a dining room table um, reading together. Um, I have a great uh, a tip regarding reading, and I'd love to have your thoughts and opinions of it. Um, historically, I've always... Um, enjoyed the opportunity to hear, um, you know, uh, uh, poems written by all members of the family, especially on like uh, a Christmas, you know, morning where you, you know, you take a poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas, you know, and and, but you have everybody make up their version of the poem. Have you ever heard of that type of uh, reading uh, in, in a group format before in a family setting? Have you ever practiced anything like that? Um, I haven't done that myself, but it's a great idea. I love it, and um, and I and I love what people come up with in their own homes and their yeah. own families. And actually, also, you know, teachers and classrooms come up with some really awesome ways to get you know get people reading and get kids to tell stories and then read them mm-hmm. aloud. And you know, that's I mean, reading aloud from your own writing is really, and that's another thing you can do as your kids are growing up is to say, um, I'm going to have actually a book coming out in the fall from Penguin called The Child's Writing Life. 
And in that one, you know, I'm really promoting the idea that children can, you know, write at home. It doesn't have to be just something they're doing in school or for homework. And there, too, you know, the read-aloud doesn't have to be something that you found in the bookstore. It could actually be something your children are writing themselves. And Mm. that's a wonderful thing. Could you talk with us about some tips on actually how to read to children or even aloud? You know, undulation in the voice, you know, et cetera. Digging, you know, showing your own passion for the story. Give us some tips yep. and advice from, from you, the professional. Well, you know what? It definitely takes some practice. I mean, I, I, I've, I've been reading aloud to children for so many years that when sometimes I'm listening to other parents at home and I kind of cringe, I think to myself, well, when have they ever done this before? You know, I mean, I'm, that's all I ever do. So I, it's not, not to be afraid to actually like by yourself when no one's around to actually sit and practice a little bit. It sounds kind of silly, but it's the truth is that you can get a lot better at it. Um, and sometimes parents will say to me, I'm like, you know, my kid never wants to sit still for my stories. And, you know, I know you're telling me to read aloud, but he won't, you know, he just isn't interested. And I think to myself, you know, it is actually a little bit of an art form and it's worth practicing, but also to practice with your kids, you know, to actually try um, in, try a passage in different ways or even just to say to your child, let's read this page three different ways and see how we like it best. Just because mm-hmm. sometimes our children actually don't want us to go overboard like as if we're you know, acting in a play or something because they're trying to get the essence of the story and we don't want to overwhelm it with our own kind of dramatic reading of the tale. But, um, but so sometimes really just a quiet calm, you know, really measured tone as you're reading because so the child can really concentrate on the on this on the storyline or the plot or the character. But other times it's really fun to, you know, take different voices or to say, Okay, I'll be frog and you be toad and then let's see how we're gonna make those voices sound. Um but really the main thing is for you to be comfortable and and to make yourself as comfortable as possible when you're reading aloud because because you yourself might feel a little bit uneasy about your reading skills. I mean a lot of adults have said that to me. You know, I'm they'll say I met an accountant one day at a seminar I gave and he said, you know, I I'm really good with numbers. I'm actually not that good with words. You know, I've never been much of a reader, but I want my kids to read. And you know, he's the kind of person that might want to just practice a little bit by himself. It's there's nothing wrong with that and we certainly do the same when we're teaching our kids sports or we're learning how to cook for them when when they're little and we're saying oh you know I want to make sure they have good salads or good soups and I'm going to practice how to do this and the funny thing is we don't really take reading that seriously and then we get all upset when our kids get to be age seven and eight and they don't want to read but really what effort have we put in to making sure that that's a value in our house you know and I, I think that's really important this has been fantastic. Let's take a quick station break. Back with some more tips and advice on what from uh, from Pam Allen, what to read when. Back in just a minute. Life tips will be right back after this short break. Oh yeah, my day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day. Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. 
Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Your advertising message is only as effective as your placement. You advertise with WebmasterRadio.fm. From 30-second commercials to 30-minute monthly programs, our team is comparable to any ad agency when it comes to production, placement, and positioning your message to not only the advertising world, but an even bigger audience of our loyal listeners and podcasters. Contact sales at WebmasterRadio.fm for a consultation today. If you're looking for a new multifaceted SEO and social media tool set, look for The Raven. Raven has the important tools that every internet marketer needs. Raven offers customized metrics for managing link building campaigns, social media campaigns, with campaign reporting and research tools that you can easily manage. Build up campaign performance for your clients and give your team the tools that will make them soar. If you want to increase your internet marketing revenue, look for The Raven. Go to raventools.com. That's raventools.com. Advance your affiliate marketing efforts every week on Affiliate Buzz. Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Or on demand anytime inside the Affiliate Marketing Channel only on webmasterradio.fm. And now back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. We're back with Pam Allen. Um, here to tell us some more tips and advice on uh, what to read when to our children. Pam, welcome back. Thanks so much. So, Pam, you have uh, put together some some a wonderful list of of uh, you know sort of um, you know things that will help your child by reading aloud. Um, let's go through the list, perhaps, and just sort of share your quick bursts and thoughts on each one of these because I think it's such a wonderful list. It's, it's fantastic. Um, the first one is develop shared values. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, um, well, we've talked a little bit about that, but I would just say to add on to that, 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 you know, one thing is, again, not with your child, but with your partner, whomever that is, or your extended family to sit down and say, even just as an exercise to say, well, actually, what are our values? Because as a family, I think sometimes we don't uh, really take the time to sit down and ask ourselves, you know, do, like, for me, it was important from when my children were very young and for my husband, too, we wanted them to really feel a sense of, of love for the world and understanding that people around them are struggling, you know, that, that we have a nice life, but others are not always so it's not so easy for people and so that was important to us now that's something that then when we're reading and we're looking and thinking about ourselves as readers we're looking for books that reflect that value but i think every family really is entitled to create its own you know little sort of you know a toolkit of values and uh and so then you know you can kind of go out there and look for um is it is it you know, is, is, is extended family really important to us? Well, there are authors who write a lot about grandparents and the value of taking good care of grandparents. And, 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 and you can find those books, you know, in the library or on Amazon or in the bookstores. And, and, and so there, you know, you create little clusters and baskets of books that really do reflect and can 
send your message to your children. I mean, they're very impressionable. So it's, it's, it's an amazing opportunity to actually really influence the lives of your children um, in a big way. Next on the list and, was uh, fall in love with language. Yes. Yeah, so, well, you know, that's the other thing that um, some of our great authors are, they're just brilliant, brilliant writers, even though it looks very deceptively simple. Like Margaret Wise Brown, you know, in Goodnight Moon, it looks so simple, and you wonder what in the world does the child see is so special about this book. But actually, she was very careful about language, and she, even her rhymes, you know, being a little bit odd and off and, you know, kind of unsyncopated, they were very, like, kind of rough, um, is actually her loving language, and the child picks up on that very, very quickly. Poetry is another great way to introduce our children to the beauty of language and for us to just stop and say, wasn't that a great line? Um, or reading like a nonfiction science book and you come to this amazing, you know, sentence about the, you know, the lion's mane and the golden, you know, warm fur of the lion and just to stop and say, that really gives me a picture in my mind about that animal and doesn't it do the same for you? Because language is a tool and our children will grow up with, if they have the sense of the sort of majesty of it, they'll grow up with a sense of that they can use it too to actually impact people. Hmm. Number three, build comprehension. Yeah, so, well, you know, what happens is, you know, as our children get older, they go to school, and there's a lot of work, and they come home, and they've got a lot of homework, and we start to have struggles with our children around doing their homework and getting things done, and there's a, you know, question, do my kids like to read, and, you know, I have a lot of conversations with parents around boys and reading, um, you know, parents will say, well, my boys don't love to read, well, the fact of the matter is that a lot of unfortunate time is spent in school really decoding language and not comprehending it. And as a result, our children sort of lose the flavor of why am I reading? Why even am I reading? And comprehension is a really, it's a really critical piece, which is to say, do I understand this? And if I understand it, like at what level do I understand it? Because one level is, oh yeah, I know that um, the character went into the wardrobe and didn't come out, you know, in the Narnia books. But the next level of comprehension is, you know, what does Edmund learn, you know, when he, when he lies to Lucy and he meets the White Witch? And, you know, the, and then the even deeper level of comprehension is, like, what, what are the metaphors in this book? You know, what is, what is this really saying about humankind? And those questions, obviously, we're not asking that last question to a three-year-old necessarily, but we're starting the building blocks of comprehension. So that same younger child as an older reader is already very familiar with what it means to read deeply and read for meaning and not just read because you have to get through it. And number four is the power of story, which I'm going to add to myself when you give us your thoughts on the power of story. Yes. Well, really, I mean, everything is all about story and everybody has a story, you know, and, um, and when children read books about animals and little people like themselves, they become empowered to say, well, if 
the frog has a story, I could have one too. And the power of story also is the way we tell things, you know, once upon a time. That's why that, that opening is so powerful because once upon a time, well, that's, that's, we could say that's how we could start the story of all of us. You know, once upon a time, I was this, or once upon a time, I was that, or once upon a time, you know, in the future. And so story itself, it's, you know, the foundation of everything. It's the American dream. It's, it's what religion is founded on. It's, it, it's like the one useful tool that we all use no matter how different we are. And, um, and that's what I think children's literature is really teaching our children is that everybody has stories and stories are worth holding on to and telling and retelling and that family stories become legends. And the way you tell your story, you know, as opposed to, Oh, gee, you know, I, I, I didn't do very well on that test. My story is I, I didn't do well on that test, but I got back in the saddle the next day, and I just studied really hard, so the next test I did better. And that's also about story, you know. So story is very, very important for children. And parents get frustrated when the child comes home from school and says, the parent says, what happened in school? And the child says, nothing. And I think because the parent's not asking the right question. The parent is asking this very overall, very vague, what did you do in school today question. The child isn't operating like that, you know, but to instead say, what are, tell me a story. What, what's one of your stories today from school? What is something that happened to you today? Um, it, it will change the whole dynamic. Hmm. Stories are important with, 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 within the family, of course, but stories, as it turns out, I just wanted to add to this, are, are really shaping the web. They're, they're shaping business. They're shaping everything in the following way. Great, great stories solve problems. You know, they teach us to be smart. They, they offer surprise and delight. You know, they, they focus on yeah. what happens next, right, which is such a powerful element, right? They yes. introduce great characters, you know, um, yes. they're, they're contagious, you know, they get passed around. And most yes. importantly, stories engage readers. And on the web, that's what we're really trying to do is to engage readers and keep them coming back for more. So, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show today is this, this storytelling element is just so critical, and, and I think you've nailed it. It starts at a very young age. So I just I thought yes. I'd throw that into the hat and let us ponder on that for a little bit. <laughs> but your yeah, other no, ideas I, are I, so I, important here as well. Let's go to the next one, number five. Be exposed yeah. to a, a variety of genres. Yeah, so I think um, this is one of the reasons why I think uh, – Teachers sometimes have a hard time in the classroom. Teachers tend, when they read aloud or they, they introduce their children to reading, they tend to gravitate to fiction and, you know, storybooks, like, you know, just only storybooks. And mm. really all genres have stories in them. Uh, poetry has stories. Nonfiction has stories. But we need to bolster our uh, Exposure so that children can hear poetry from a young age and also hear nonfiction read to them from a young age, whether it's a book by Seymour Simon, who writes books about sharks and insects and bugs and snakes and things like that, or, you know, Shel Silverstein, who writes silly, funny, you know, nonsensical poems. Those are genres that our children. We want to expose them young before they say, oh, I don't like that, um, and before they feel in any way alienated from any of those genres. We can give them a nice balance of narrative, poetry, and nonfiction so that they're really ready for every subject area when they go to school. 
and beyond that, it's just actually as adults, most of what we read, I would say 90% of what we read is nonfiction. But when parents reach for a book, when their children are young, they tend to select um, books that are fictional. So I, I like to have a good balance. You know, it's like a nutritious diet. We want to have a good balance. <laughs> right on. Number six, yeah. learn about classic text structures. Yeah, so there, you know, there are some classic text structures. The very most simple one is a beginning, middle, and end, that stories have a beginning, middle, and end. But, but then, you know, when we get more complicated, we have, you know, novels and short stories and then structures of, of poetry like haiku and, and sonnets and, and in nonfiction, we have articles and editorials and letters to the editor and those are all you know, different kinds of structures that the more familiar we can make our children with those from a younger age, the more likely they are to be comfortable as readers and writers as they grow. Hmm. Fascinating. I've got eight ideas popped in my head there. Um, find <laughs> comfort. Well, yeah. I mean, that to me, that's like the ultimate because that's mm. really why people read, even if it's, you know, some really silly detective book or, you know, a romance novel. I mean, for adults, there are other ways that we're finding comfort through reading. And sometimes it's just I need to rest my brain from like all the hard work I'm doing. I want to read, you know, I want to read a fast moving where I know it's always going to work out in the end. That's why people always loved Agatha Christie, because that was a very formulaic kind of approach, and it always worked. You know, you could really count on Miss Marple to solve the crime. And I think there's, that's not, you know, accidental. I think really great authors uh, like her just know that people really do want to be comforted. They want to be, they want to be reassured. You know, they want to know that, that all is going to be right in the world. And, um, just sitting with your child on a couch or sitting with them in the kitchen or sitting with them in their bed and having that really comforting text along with them is just so peaceful. And, and it's just so important because we're constantly running our children ragged. You know, we're running them around here and there and everywhere. And it's, it's too much, you know, bringing them back, back almost like to the kind of old-fashioned hearth around gathering around a text is really... Really important. Good stuff. And another uh, three more in, in, in just a couple minutes, if that's possible. Build critical thinking skills. Yes. Yeah, so, again, I mean, I think it kind of goes back to that comprehension piece, but a little bit maybe taking it one step further, which is that not all, not everything that's in writing is something we agree with. You know, up until this point in our conversation, we, I've talked a lot about books that, you know, where I feel confident about the authors and I feel that they're reflecting my values. But being a critical reader is so important from everything from, you know, the first time my daughter looked at me when she was four and said, this book is terrible, you know, <laughs> to much later on when you look at something on the Internet and say, I don't, you know, somebody's you know, denying something that actually did happen or when that, like, e even with this whole WikiLeaks thing, like how much we don't know what's true and what's not true and we have to be really careful just because it's on the Internet doesn't mean it's true. And it's the same with printed books, too. Everyone feels like the Internet's so much more dangerous, but, you know, there are plenty of books out there that are written by people I don't trust one single bit, you know. So I, I want my children to grow up as very sharp readers and really critical readers in the sense that they, 
they have their wits about them. You know, they're, they're really thinking about what is this author's agenda? What are people really trying to tell me here? And that, you know, that happens from a very, very young age where we can say, do you agree with this author? I mean, you can even ask that of a four-year-old. Do you agree? The author might be writing, you know, snakes are scary. And you may not want your child to think like that about animals or any living creature. So you might just say, what do you think? Do you agree with this or not? I wonder why this author wrote this. Let's look on the back of the book and see, you know, is he a snake expert? You know, are we sure that he knows a lot about snakes? So you're already, even from a very young age, you're asking critical questions. So as they get older and they're browsing the Internet themselves or getting a book from, you know, online or going into the library by themselves, they already have your voice in their head saying, is this, do I trust this writer? Do I trust this voice? You know, is this someone that, or do I need to get more, do I need to get more evidence somewhere else? Shape a lifelong reading identity. Well, um, that's, I feel, kind of like the big idea. Uh, I feel like we have an opportunity when we're with our kids to really, really stoke the fire um, in a way that, although, I mean, my work, I try to influence schools, but I actually think that we have a better chance at home. We have probably the best chance at home of influencing. Because you can have, you know, from year to year, our kids don't always have the best teachers. Sometimes they're amazing, brilliant, wonderful teachers, and sometimes they're not. But we're with our children all along, and we're really the ones who get to shape and help them identify what a reading life could look like. So, you know, last night, for example, I was doing a reading at Barnes & Noble, and I was happened to be standing next to an, a display of um, a set of books, uh, called Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And this woman and her husband came up to me and said, you know, we want to ask you a question. We didn't want to ask it in the big group, but our son really hates to read. He really just doesn't like to read at all. What can we do? He's 10 years old. So I said, well, as I started to answer, the guy pointed behind me and he said, I mean, he loves those books. He said, but those books, well, they're not real literature. And I stopped him and I said, just my main thing here is, and I'll be very blunt, don't say that anymore. <laughs> don't ever say that again. I said, these books are fantastic. And the thing is, it's just that it, because there's drawings in them, the parents were concerned. You know, this isn't really, quote, good literature. And part about building the reading identity is, how are we identifying our children as readers? Just because we you know, value books differently doesn't mean that that child isn't as much of a reader as we are. And so it's a really about like naming when you see the child doing those things and saying, hey, wow, you know, I really, I really uh, appreciate um, you as a reader and I'm excited that you just read for 25 minutes tonight. That's fantastic. And, and to kind of remove the sense of judgment um, from that, because I wouldn't, just like as a, if I'm reading Agatha Christie, I wouldn't really want somebody to stop me and say, well, that's not really reading. Hmm. So I that's, love, that's I, kind of that idea about the identity. And that, that's a great story as well, by the way, that should be passed on um, to those that doubt uh, any reading, really the net f fuel all reading. All reading is good reading, perhaps. But your yeah, last one yeah. I just love, visit many worlds, hear many voices. Yeah, and I, I think that's, you know, that's part of that critical reading, too. I mean, we don't want to censor our kids so much, but, and we want them to be vigilant to, like, what they really will hear that may not resonate with them. But I think one of the great 
things and the great news about children's literature and young adult literature is that there's so many voices out there from all different countries and parts of the world and even parts of this country and 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 writers who write about lots of really interesting things and passions that they have that 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 reflect lives that we can't live a thousand lives but you know through the through reading we can actually experience a thousand lives and i think that that makes our kids grow up incredibly powerful and understanding and empathic and hopefully you know this next generation because of this and because of their access to, to children's literature maybe they'll do a better job you know bringing peace to this world because i think if more of our politicians had you know read children's books when they were young we might all just be in a much better place right now because you can't hate people when you learn who they are you know they're just people just like us so um and i think that's what literature does it it humanizes everybody an eye-opening discussion we've had today. Really appreciate you being on the show. I have a question for you, a final question, and that is, do you have any tips on really searching for the best books? Well, um, well, of course, buy my book, What to Read When, no question about that. <laughs> but, uh, but Does I it have, have a lot of references that, for of great books, by the way? Great children say? books, great your know, recommendations? Yeah, well, um, I have, sure, I've got tons of recommendations, and I'll just, I could say a couple just off the top of my head, but, um, but as far as also where, there are a couple of other great things. One is, um, I have to say that the, the Internet is one of my favorite uh, things on the Internet is those, you know, if you like this, you'll also like this on Amazon, mm-hmm. and Barnes & Noble has it too, um, where you can go on, because, I mean, it's simple, but really, it often is, like, they, they really give great advice. I love it. So if you say, you know, I like that book by Seymour Simon, who else is out there, they'll tell you. And then, of course, if there's an independent bookstore in your neighborhood, I love independent bookstores. There aren't many of them left, unfortunately. But if there are, you'll go in there and you'll find a guru. You know, you'll find some amazing maven who will tell you, you know, if you like this, you'll also like that. And then Mm -hmm. as far as my recommendations, um, I've just got a couple of new ones that you know you might not have seen yet so i'll just quickly tell you one is called bunny days by teo nayu n-y-e-u and i really love it i love the illustrations and then another one um i think i had mentioned earlier in the conversation called bought the boss baby by marla frazee f-r-a-z-e-e um and those are just two new ones if people are interested but um but we have my website is is pamallen.com and we're often posting on there and I do blog on several different uh blog sites including Parenting Pink and um sometimes on the Huffington Post and um and then I have um our nonprofit global literacy initiative called LitWorld um litworld.org people could go and just visit and browse and we often post book suggestions in all of those places um and uh, and speaking of of, world, of Lit World, on March 9th we'll be celebrating World Read Aloud Day. So if people are interested in, and if you guys are interested in getting involved, and any listeners are, uh, to please visit litworld.org, and we can and we can have a great day together reading to people all around the world. Let us try to help you promote that at Life Tips as well. I'd be happy to do that. Um, we oh, attract about great. a million monthly it. visitors, and we'll try to get a banner up or something to promote that. So circle oh, back with awesome. us. Um, one final question on the tip for searching for books. Are there any award 
um, uh, in recognition organizations that you feel are worthy of mentioning on the show as well that you could actually look up and see what what books have won awards? Well, um, you know, the two great awards are the Caldecott and the Newberry. Um, they're not, oh, I'll be very, very blunt, they're not always children's favorite books, so. Um, they, they often tend to be absolutely magnificent books, but chosen by all, you know, librarians and people who have a very, very, you know, sophisticated view of children's literature. Um, some of them are amazing, and those are, you know, great books. Uh, but, I do love the New York Times does a once a year they do best illustrated children's books that, that's online you can those I actually really like those and I think kids like those a lot um, those tend to be really appealing and the American Library Association often has some great lists on their site that's really good and then there's um a website that James Patterson hosts called Read Kiddo Read and they're actually doing a competition right now we're um for World Read Aloud Day, I'm going to announce at least two awards for what I consider to be the best read alouds of the year, and we're going to hope we'll do that every year. So that would be posted um, after March 9th. People can go on and look for that. But but those are those are kind of the big ones, and and then there are other you know others um, like Publishers Weekly actually has a good one too. You could go on to that website and um, and take a look at that as well. Well. Pam, we've really enjoyed having you on the show today. Thanks very, very much. Well, thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed it very much, too. Indeed. Until, uh, until next week, everybody, I hope your life is a little smarter, better, faster, and wiser, and, and now educated on why and how to read aloud to your, to your kids throughout their entire journey of life. Thanks for listening, and everybody, we'll see, we'll see you next week. 